So you can delete or turn on a gene with CRISPR. Mm -hmm. So hypothetically, could you maybe change your eye color or? So theoretically, yes. My little brother actually asked me to CRISPR him a tail all the time. A tail? Yes, he wants a tail. <laughs> I feel like when I was driving here, if I kept going, I would hit Helena at one yeah. point, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we're, we're right on the edge of Hoover, Pelham, and Helena. River Chase is just in the middle. Okay, yeah, because I was like, I feel like the few times I've gone to Helena, it was this way. Yeah, have you ever been to Helena as far as where they have like the waterfall? They have a little brewery down there. No, but that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we take, you remember Henry, our yeah. dog? We take Henry down to swim in the river because swimming is his all-time favorite activity. And you can go down there and there's a brewery called Oversoul Brewery. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, pretty good beer. And uh, he swims and there's a waterfall and there's a restaurant that I've been going to since I was a kid called The Depot. Excellent burgers if you're a burger person. Are you a burger person? Not so much. What's your favorite type of food? <laughs> I hate to admit this, but... I would say my all-time favorite food is macaroni and cheese, but any type of meat and three vibe or something like, ooh, but also barbecue. Since moving to Alabama, barbecue has become one of my favorites. So meat and three in general? Yeah, that vibe. Yeah, like southern food, right? Yes. Okay, huge fan. Have you ever had Dale's? No. Okay, it's actually right here in River Chase. Dale's Southern Grill is okay. prime time meet and three highly recommend i will have to check it out yeah and then go get a beer after at the brewery there you go see i'm just mapping out a perfect little day for you yeah, right here that's what i'm saying i gotta branch out from downtown i've been to all those breweries yeah but they're so good they are fantastic you've mentioned since you moved to alabama barbecue has been your favorite you said i have really enjoyed alabama barbecue. where did you move from so i moved here from north carolina which also has a lot of good barbecue and so I feel like every state in the South just about claims they have the best barbecue. And so between North Carolina and Alabama, I don't know which one's better. They're both good. They're both unique. Yeah. Where has been your favorite barbecue spot around? All right. So it's between Dreamland and Rodney Scott's. Okay. I feel like that's like fighting words for some people. Some people have really strong opinions, but I've really enjoyed those too. Yeah, they're good. They're good. I've seen Rodney Scott all over the place, Netflix documentaries, and he's really blown up, huh? Yeah, I really enjoy Rodney Scott's. They have two locations downtown. Well, I guess one's towards Avondale and one's towards Homewood. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoy that place. Yeah, I've been to the Avondale one, but I have not checked out the Homewood one. Look, this might be fighting words too, but I'm a big fan of just Jim and Nick's. So when I first moved here, that's like the first place I had went to for barbecue. And it was, they had those uh, cheese biscuits, I think. And Huge I fan. sent, or you can buy some of like, the mix. So I bought the mix and I sent it back to my family in New York so they could enjoy it. Some Alabama cheese biscuits. What'd they think about it? They loved it. I should do that again. Do you know that spot when you're cutting over the mountain from downtown mm -hmm. over towards Mountain Brook and there's the roundabout? It's near Aberdeen, that really pretty lookout where you can go and see sunsets. And oh, then there's over that. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that statue of a pig right there. Yes. That's the Jim and Nick's people's house. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that makes sense, statue of a pig. I think if I'd built a barbecue empire, I would have a statue of a pig too. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I want you guys to know that today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you find yourself struggling with anxiety, depression, or just feeling stuck in life? Well, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy platform with licensed therapists available to you from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your therapist. Or you can simply message them anytime you need to. No more sitting in traffic, no more waiting rooms, ugh, and no more feeling uncomfortable. And here's the best part. BetterHelp is affordable. Financial aid is available to those who qualify. And our listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Birmingham. Take the first step towards a happier, healthier life with BetterHelp. Visit 
betterhelp.com slash Birmingham today and get 10% off your first month. Thanks for listening to the Discover Birmingham podcast. Now back to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. The main topic for today, the biggest reason that, that I have you here is to talk about cancer research, which is your specialty. Yes. So I guess for those who don't know, I'm a cancer research scientist here in Birmingham, Alabama, um, and I work at the University of Alabama at Birmingham in the hospital. And so I've been studying cancer for, I think, six years now. It's been a while. It's definitely, it's been an interesting time. Yeah, I'm sure that even just in the six years that you've been studying, and I'm sure a lot's changed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a field that moves very quickly, um, and you've got to stay on top of it. I actually just recently got back from a big conference called the American Association of Cancer Research. So it's a big, it's an international meeting. It was down in Orlando this year. It was really cool because that's the meeting where they really announced like the next big thing. And so I got to go there and like hear about all the upcoming clinical trials and new areas of research and whatnot. Did you have to sign an NDA or anything? Or can you <laughs> fill a sense on the next big thing? Because now you've, you've got my attention. So I, so I did not have to sign an NDA. But right now, the, the big thing in cancer research, and it's kind of been that way for the past couple years, is still immunotherapy. So that's the idea that we can use our own immune systems to help fight the cancer which I do think is very cool. And it has been very effective in some cancers, not all cancers, though. You know, skin cancer, for example, and some liquid cancers, immunotherapy has been very effective. I study pancreatic cancer, not so effective. It's not just pancreatic cancer, though. What's the word that I told you I was going <laughs> to memorize that I didn't? It's the longest word I've ever heard. <laughs> Gastroenteropancreatic neuroendocrine cancer. Yeah. <laughs> That's seriously the longest word I've ever heard. And it's amazing <laughs> that you can even pronounce it. Yes. it's So it's always funny whenever I'm making a presentation for work and I'm talking about gastroenteropancreatic neuroendocrine tumors and it's on every single slide. I'm always like, what do I do? Do I say the whole word every time or do I try and hyphenate it or do I make up this acronym? Got to be an acronym. Hope. So the current like go-to acronym is GEPNETS for gastroenteropancreatic-neuroendocrine tumors. But then I'm saying GEPNETS every other sentence, and people are like, what is she saying? But then if I say the whole thing, it's just as confusing. All right. Translate that down to our language, to non-genius language. So <laughs> what does that mean? What, what exactly are you studying? So the cancer that I study arises from cells that are kind of throughout our body. They're called neuroendocrine cells. They're kind of uncommon. They're in many different organs. So these cells are broken down neuroendocrine. So they receive neurotransmitter signals. And then the endocrine side, they can release hormones. An example of the ones that I kind of focus on are your endocrine cells in your pancreas. These are the cells that are secreting insulin, glucagon, somatostat, and all the hormones from your pancreas. So they're receiving signals from your brain, the rest of your body, to secrete these different hormones. Which so a neuroendocrine cell is a cell that receives a signal from your brain and then it releases some kind of hormone. Okay, got it. Yes. Interesting. So very important cells, but it can get really bad when they turn into cancer because now when they turn into cancer, they grow into this tumor. And in some cases, they'll just start secreting all of this hormone, like excess hormone. So the patients that have these tumors tend to be very sick because they're suffering from this excess hormone secretion. So they have a lot of rough symptoms. They get a lot of like flushing, rashes, nausea, dizziness, a lot of like diarrhea and GI issues because these tumors are secreting all this excess hormone throughout their body. So it makes it, you know, difficult for these patients on top of having cancer. They also feel terrible. Jeez. Yeah, that's terrible. The specific type of cancer that you're studying being with the pancreas. So does that mean that they're constantly releasing insulin into their bodies? They can, yes. And I guess because of that, they would become insulin resistant. resistant. They hypo yeah. or hypoglycemic. Yeah, they have blood sugar issues. Um, these patients, they can gain a bunch of weight no matter what they do, lose a bunch of weight no matter what they do. Uh, they could be very sick. 
So when you're doing your research, are you having direct contact with the patient or are you doing behind the scenes? So I stay behind the scenes. So I don't see any patients when I go to work at the hospital. I live in the laboratory. However, I do also run a nonprofit for, uh, that helps patients connect with doctors and researchers. So I do interact with patients through that organization, but I'm not directly seeing patients in my office or anything like that. What's the nonprofit called? So the name of the nonprofit is the Neuroendocrine Tumor Cancer Research Foundation, or NetCF. And the goal is to bring together patients, doctors, and researchers. And so one thing that happens a lot for people like me who live in the lab as a researcher is that we're in the lab, you know, all the time. And sometimes we lose sight of what the patient is experiencing. So, for example, you know, we're always trying to find the next big thing, you know, the next treatment, the next drug that's going to help patients that have cancer. But what sometimes we tend to forget, and I mean, I'll be honest, I've done it, and I think a lot of researchers have done it, that quality of life aspect. So we'll find this drug and say, you know, it's working really well, but the side effects are just terrible. You know, a lot of the times the patients are like, what is the trade-off? You're going to give me this drug in hopes that I'm going to get better, but I'm going to be so miserable receiving that drug. And so having these conversations between the researchers and the patients are very important because it brings that human aspect back. That quality of life is so important. Um, and if you have, you know, all these drugs to pick from, I think we should be working with the patients to try and optimize the scenario that's best for them. Yeah, you must feel very isolated sometimes working in the lab, knowing that what you're doing is so important, but also not seeing sometimes the actual effect. So your nonprofit is able to bring you together with the patient and with their doctors to kind of see what's happening firsthand. Yeah, yeah. And then the doctors, you know, the physicians have an interesting standpoint because they're seeing a higher volume of patients. You know, they're seeing a whole like diverse scale of patients. They see different symptoms. They'll notice things like, oh, hey, we put this patient on this drug and we've noticed, you know, this interesting side effect. And then, you know, as a researcher, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's a result of this mechanism or something like that. And so it brings a really dynamic conversation between the person that's studying it in the laboratory at the really, you know, biology level, the doctor who's seeing all these patients at a higher volume, different types of patients, different types of tumors, and then the patient who's actually experiencing this every single day. And so bringing all these people in the same room has really developed some important conversations. Yeah, it sounds like it. So you raise funds for them. Was it NetCF? So it's a nonprofit. So we do a little bit of fundraising. But at this point in time, we're pretty fortunate to just be hosting these conversations. And a lot has come out of this. Um, I can say that I already built um, multiple collaborations with other institutions throughout the world um, on new projects just because of this organization and the conversations to be had. And then we hope one day we can do like an in-person conference. And so I think eventually we'll start raising funds to try and bring people, because right now we're just doing it virtually since it is an international organization and time zones can be difficult. But one day we do want to do an in-person meeting and have more conversations about what we can do moving forward. So as far as cancer goes, is it pretty well understood what causes cancer in general? I know that there are different types of cancer and that cancer is kind of a term that describes different diseases in a way, but is there kind of an overarching mechanism that causes cancer? That's a good question. So my answer all the time is sometimes <laughs> because cancer is so diverse of a disease. So there are things out there that we know cause cancer. For example, smoking. We know that smoking can cause cancer. And then, you know, other things like exposures. There are certain chemicals, carcinogens, that we know can cause cancer. The sun. We know that the sun, the UV light, can cause DNA damage that can cause cancer. Yeah, overexposure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Overexposure of the sun um, and causing an excess of DNA damage where your body starts to fail to be able to fix that DNA damage then that can end up causing cancer. There are certain gene mutations, especially the ones that are hereditary. For example, in breast cancer, the BRCA gene, a mutation in that we know can cause cancer. Of course, there's always scenarios 
where, you know, someone can smoke their whole life and never get cancer. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, you know, those are the things that puzzle scientists. So it's always like, okay, we know some things that cause cancer, but in some scenarios, in some people, it doesn't. Um, I think those people are interesting to study, you know, why. But then I would say the majority of the time we don't necessarily know what causes cancer. If you have a mutation, it's easy to say, okay, this is what caused it. But the interesting cancers are, especially when you don't have a mutation or you've been so healthy your whole life and you end up getting cancer, we don't know. And as a researcher, that's where I'm very interested. I'm like, you know, what could have caused this? I think a lot of the times it's almost a perfect storm scenario. There may be some underlying DNA situation going on that could cause it or certain environmental factors or sometimes it's just like chance. So it really depends on the person, which makes cancer difficult because it depends. It can be different for every person. Yeah. You know, you have heard about people who have just been so healthy and they've eaten mindfully their whole life and they've exercised and they've done their cardio and they've still ended up getting some sort of cancer. I would feel very ripped off if that happened yes. to me. I would say I did all that for nothing. I could have been eating cookies all day. This whole time. Yeah. yeah. Where do you think nutrition falls into that? Do you think that, that um, the food that you put in your body plays a role in cancer in general? Yes, I definitely think so. And there are studies out there that kind of get into this more in detail. My area of research isn't so much on the role of nutrition, but I know that it does play a very important role. And keeping your body healthy, like I said, minimizing like DNA damage, something to upset the cells, and keeping your body kind of in homeostasis, and reducing inflammation in your body is also very important. And antioxidants are also very important. So a lot of reactive oxygen species that can upset cells that can cause DNA damage. So what's um, that? So reactive oxygen species are like chemical compounds that can be very disruptive to a cell. And so you like eating antioxidants like fresh fruit and all that to minimize those compounds. I'm not going to say that it prevents cancer, but it keeps a healthy body. So in eating a healthy diet leads to, you know, homeostasis in the body. So reactive oxygen species is another name for oxidation? Yes. Okay, got yeah. it. Are there any things that you do in your life that you do because of what you know and as far as preventing? Yes. And so the big one for me, I will be the first to admit, I could definitely eat healthier. Like I said earlier, macaroni and cheese is my favorite food. <laughs> Hold on. Are we talking craft mac and cheese or are we talking like real homemade? Like what's your poison there? I will eat all macaroni and cheese. Velveeta is my favorite. I okay. just had this conversation last week, actually. <laughs> And you know what? Velveeta macaroni and cheese got ruined for me at an early age, and here's really? why. I have an aunt, and she is awesome. She's a legend. Everyone loves her. Aunt Sue, shout out. Her and her husband would, you know, they would kind of like play jokes on me and stuff sometimes when I was growing up, and they had me convinced from an early age that Kraft macaroni and cheese contained roach wings. Oh and after God. that, I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> it's homemade or nothing for me for your own. That's out. a good way to like train someone to eat healthy. You just tell them like there's roach wings. Yeah, it. roach wings. It was just so specific. I got to know where yeah, that came like, from. I'll have to ask that up. It's that. so specific. I know. That's so funny. So, yes, you know, I can probably eat less macaroni and cheese, but exercise is a big one for me. And the one thing that I've kind of learned with that is it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to the gym at 5 a.m. and do this super crazy workout. It can be like little things like incorporating a walk during your day, walking around the block. I walk to work and back every day and that really helps me. But just getting up and moving around, that's an important thing that I try and incorporate every single day into my life. But it has a lot of benefits beyond cancer. I mean, even like cardiovascular disease exercise helps with that. Yeah, psychological benefits. So, yeah, exactly. If I, don't, if I don't work out for a few days, I can tell, you know, yeah. I'm just a little bit more irritable yeah. in general. Do you focus on a specific step count? No, not really. There's been times where yes or certain mileage. But what I've learned for at least myself and everyone's different is putting those requirements on me, can, it can start to feel like a burden or a task. It can start, I can start to dread it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get this step count in. 
and I've had all of these things going on today. And so I start to resent the idea of doing this task. And this is just for me, you know, everyone's different. And so I've more evolved now into doing what I can, making the most of the time that I can. Whereas some days that means I can go out and run five miles. And some days that just means, you know, going around the block or going to the park and back or something small like that. Or I live downtown, so it's walking to Publix and back or something like that. So I just try and do something exercise related for myself every day. And then certain days can look differently. Speaking of downtown, where are some of your favorite spots to get out and and get moving? I definitely enjoy Railroad Park, uh, the Rotary Trail downtown. I think they've recently extended that. So now I can go basically from Railroad Park all the way down the Rotary Trail to Ghost Train Brewery and then past all the way to Avondale. So I really enjoy that. I'll even do walks or runs downtown on the north side since I live on the north side where you're used to. And I'll go and kind of run down there to City Walk. I need to enjoy City Walk more. That's recently been uh, established. But I'll go down towards that area sometimes and back. Tell us about City Walk because I, I haven't been yet. And I know that a lot of people out there are interested in it. So what do, you, what do you know about it? Yeah, it's super cool. Like I said, I need to explore it more. I know that they have a dog park down there. They have the lights. Um, sometimes they'll set up like markets and vendors where you can go buy things. It's really a nice addition to Birmingham. And I think I read on the news this weekend that they recently won a design award. Uh, like the designers of CityWalk won an award for their work. Cool, yeah, because they have a, like cool. a skate park and stuff down there yeah. too, don't they? Yeah. And so we recently had a conference in Birmingham. And they stayed at the Sheraton downtown that's like right by the CityWalk. So it was really nice to show off to the world CityWalk. You know, look how nice Birmingham is. Yeah, yeah. It's really coming up. I'm yeah. excited about it. What about as far as uh, restaurants? Do you have any go-tos? So my favorite restaurant in Birmingham is East West downtown. Um, I really enjoy that one. I've gone to that one for my birthday every year. Uh, My graduation, I went there. I really enjoy East West. Same. My buddy Chewy and Harrison and I are going yeah. Wednesday night. Oh, nice. Huge fans. I actually went the Whiskey Wednesday or something like that. Something like that. But I ran into, you know, Colby that owns yeah. it. Yeah. I ran into him at, um... At Pizzitz over the weekend, I was like, bro, I really need you to come on the podcast. And he was like, absolutely, man. I want to come on. I'm going to do it. So he's going to call, he's going to be an upcoming guest on the podcast. So he and I went to college together. I nice. think he'll be a really fun guest to have because I absolutely love East West. It's also so my good. number one favorite, you know, Asian fusion restaurant in yes, town. Yes, yes. I also enjoy Bamboo. I'm definitely biased towards the restaurants on the north side since I live down there um, and I want to support them. So, yeah, Bamboo. And then First Avenue North, a lot of new places are opening up. They've got that new place, the Mercantile on Morris, I think it is. There's mm. like a complex with a bunch of new restaurants and bars that I'm really enjoying. Have you been to the Margaret? I have been there, yes. What, what is that? I was up at uh, my, my buddy Josh, who I had on recently, opened up the Well Salon right there off Morris Avenue. And I okay. parked in the parking lot. I actually got my truck towed because my fault. <laughs> I didn't pay. But Classic I parked. Yeah, <laughs> I parked in the Margaret parking lot. What is the Margaret? So the Margaret is a bar that's in the same spot where Atomic used to be. The mm. so very memorable spot. Atomic <laughs> was, you know, a Birmingham staple for many years. Pour one out. Yeah. Yes. For the Atomic, but Faisal's new bar, the House of Found Objects, is fantastic. Very cool. So it can be reminiscent of Atomic if anyone misses the Atomic too much. But yeah, so the Margaret moved into where the Atomic was. And so it's much more of a casual bar than Atomic. It's a good bar to just pop in for a drink, a beer, wine, something like that. Yeah, we went to, uh, I think it was the last night that the Atomic was open. And I had told Katie to put a menu in her purse. Just <laughs> as a yeah, little memorabilia. And we framed it and put it in our bar upstairs. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, huge fan of the Atomic, man. It was so much fun. Good times there to, with uh, Faisal and Rachel and everybody. Yes, yes. That's some of my best memories in Birmingham. And every time someone would come visit me when I first moved here and it was still open, I would, I'd be like, you have to see this bar. There's bubbles. There were bubbles. <laughs> Did you guys ever dress up? Yeah, we dressed up once. And we'd always play the games. I remember playing with one of my Jenga. Like we played Jenga for like an hour. Yeah. There. It was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
but I think we totally got off topic, which is fine. But as far as uh, going back to cancer, because we we go straight from bars to cancer. Yeah. That's just, hmm. that's just how the podcast <laughs> goes, guys. But <laughs> I do have more questions about cancer in general, because it's a topic that we hear about almost daily. But there are so many questions that people have about it that really is just not common knowledge. So another one that I had is what's the most common type of cancer? So the most common type of cancer, I believe, I hope uh, my boss isn't watching this right now, I believe is lung cancer if you just put everyone together. But if you look at just males and females, prostate cancer and breast cancer are also very common. You know, I feel like smoking is, at least with people that I know, is less and less common. Mm -hmm. But I feel like vaping is way more common. Have you ever looked into or read any studies about the effects that vaping has on lung cancer versus smoking? So to be honest with you, I have not done a deep dive into that. And I think as time goes on, there are going to be more and more studies coming out about that. Since historically, society has smoked cigarettes, for example, and that can be attributed to lung cancer. And then I think vaping has become very popular now. And what kind of concerns me is that vaping is becoming very popular with younger people. And so they're getting this exposure much younger. And so how is that going to affect them for the rest of their life? Is that going to affect them, you know, when they're 60? I don't know yet. There may be some studies out there, but I bet there will be more and more studies arising. Yeah, because I've heard about popcorn lung. So I have heard about that too. I don't know what that is off the top of my head, but I have heard about that. The name makes it sounds a little more harmless than it is because you think popcorn, you think, oh, fun night at the movies. Yeah. No, I think popcorn lung, there's nothing fun about it. <laughs> like a bunch of butter? Like, <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't seem great. No, not at all. What are some tests that people should make sure that they're having run to catch cancer early? So that is a good question. So I could go on a lot here. So... Of course, trying to go to the doctor is, you know, regularly and keeping up with your health. Of course, that's difficult to some people who don't have access to that. And then, you know, paying attention to your body. If something is off and it hurts, maybe instead of a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then it gets to the point where they're not fine. So if you know your body, I mean, you do know your body better than anyone else. So paying attention to your body and when something isn't right, trying to investigate that, go to the doctor, get it checked out. Even if it's nothing, at least you tried in case it was something. And then, of course, doing like the screens that we hear about. So at a certain age, getting your mammogram, getting screened for breast cancer. I believe the age for colonoscopy just went down to 45 from 50. So getting screened there for colorectal cancer. And so doing those necessary things to stay on top of it. However, I will say in terms of research, there's a lot that we can still do in terms of early diagnosis. So that's a big push in the field of cancer research is we can study cancer once it's formed and try and treat it, or we can also try and stop it. Early detection is very important for cancer because the earlier we detect it, it's usually better the outcome. So if we can detect it early enough to take it out with surgery, that's very beneficial. If the cancer can be re entirely removed by surgery, then it's cured. The issue really comes in is when the cancer isn't detected until it's kind of too late, when it's mm. spread throughout the body. That's when it gets much more difficult to treat. So we've got to find better ways to detect the cancer sooner and just take it out. So is genetic testing a good way to kind of predict whether or not someone is predisposed to cancer? Yes, definitely. Especially if someone has a family history of cancer, genetic testing can be very important. And even without a family history, if someone can have access to genetic testing, that can be very helpful because that can catch something that could cause difficulty in the future. What I've read about genetics and your predisposition to cancer is that Yes, your family history plays a huge part as to whether or not you could get cancer, whether or not you're more susceptible to certain types of cancer. But then I read about epigenetics. You know, is, is that pretty valid? Because they say that your genes are the, the loaded gun, but your lifestyle is what pulls the trigger. So is, is that valid in what you've seen? Absolutely. And that is adds such a layer of complexity, which I find fascinating. But yeah, your DNA is just one level. 
and mutations are just one level, and then epigenetics is a whole other level. So epigenetics, when we say that word, that is the modification of DNA. So you can add different chemical groups to change the way the DNA is positioned and the way that certain genes can get turned on or turned off. So you're not changing your genetic code. You're just changing how it behaves in a way that can change, like I said, what genes are turned on or turned off. And that can add a whole other layer of complexity, which I believe plays a very important role in cancer, especially in gastroenteropancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. We know that a lot of these tumors are driven epigenetically. So in pancreatic... So does that mean lifestyle? So it can. Lifestyle definitely influences epigenetics. But also what you mentioned earlier with chemical exposure and things like that. Yeah, about everything can influence epigenetics to make it more difficult. Lifestyle, yes. But you can actually inherit certain epigenetics things from your like your family as well. So even what you do on a daily basis can influence epigenetics. So would you say that just because mom or dad had colon cancer, that doesn't mean that your fate is sealed? Correct. Unless there's a DNA mutation that you directly inherit from mom and dad that is known to cause it, then I would say you're most likely going to get colorectal cancer. But if you don't inherit any ch- literal changes in your DNA, it's not guaranteed that you will get it. As far as testing your DNA, is that something that's available right now? Are doctors able to test DNA? So right now, yes, we can do DNA sequencing and check for mutations. When it comes to epigenetics, not so much. That's a lot more difficult to test. And there are ways to test epigenetics, and but we have, as scientists have to interpret that data and know what it means. There's a lot that we still have to learn about different changes in your epigenome. We can record those, but then it's a whole other thing to have this data and then to know what it means. So epigenetics is basically turning on or turning off a gene, right? Mm-hmm. Through lifestyle factors being one, mm-hmm. but also, I guess, therapeutics would be something that's on the forefront or is that already, are you already able to do that? Yeah. So there are drugs that are um, like epigenetic modifying drugs. And so those are being used for anti-cancer therapy now. A lot of them are still in clinical trials. The interesting thing about that is that the epigenome is definitely different between every person because it can be influenced by lifestyle and everyone has a very different lifestyle. So manipulating the epigenome in one person might have a totally different effect than manipulating it in someone else. Yeah, and it's so hard to test one single factor amongst a population because everyone has different things going on. Like think about nutritional testing. Back when I was doing like functional medicine, people would ask, you know, is there any scientific research for this? You know, it's really hard to research actual nutrition. Nutritional studies are hard to do because if you're just going to isolate, say, vitamin B1 Mm -hmm. and, you know, okay, but is the person smoking? Is the person drinking? Does the person drink caffeine? Does the person eat beef? Does the person, is the person vegan? You know, all these other factors. Yeah. Yeah, So you can't just like pull one thread of a spider web and expect to not move the entire web. So it's, I think it's so hard to actually do a true like double blind test when it comes to nutrition. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And you could, yeah, you could even say the same for cancer as well. It can be very, especially in studying a rare cancer where you don't have a large population. If you, the larger the population, Maybe the easier it is to try and control some of those variables because they'll kind of even out when you have a big, big group of people. But when you only have 20 people, you know, and all those 20 people are different, then it's hard to kind of tease out, you know, what are the results from the manipulation you're doing, such as, you know, vitamin B1, if you're changing that versus is the result from something else that the people are doing. We've established that a lot of cancers are caused by lifestyle. A lot of them are caused by genetics. Uh, What about for maybe like a a child who gets cancer? You know, they haven't had time to accumulate a a bunch of, you know, toxins in their life or whatever it may be. What causes that? Yeah. So like pediatric oncology is a, a very difficult field, but a very, very important one. Some of the pediatric cancers, of course, are DNA, genetic related And some of them are not. And so there's a lot of research being done there on, you know, what's causing those cancers. 
and how to stop them. I don't study a bunch of pediatric cancers, and so I won't speak too much on that, but I hope, you know, as time goes on, a lot more gets uncovered there. Do you have friends in the research field that you guys are texting every day, like, guess what I learned today, or guess what I guess what I discovered today? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I always say there's, I would not be where I am with my research if it wasn't for everyone else. There is an eye in science, but um, I don't utilize just myself. It's a whole teamwork effort. So I would say every day, all day, I'm texting other scientists, good and bad. It's usually, guess what I discovered today? Or guess what I accidentally blew up today? Or I accidentally ruined this. Hey, do you have more of this chemical? I ran out or something like that. So I am big into collaboration and it makes my research so much better because I can only be an expert in so much. But if I bring in a team of a bunch of other experts, I can get a lot done because um, I can't I can't learn it all. But I can work with people that know different areas to get better research done. So, for example, I have a great collaborator who's an expert in microscopy and looking at cancer at a really, really um, zoomed in way on a microscope that I would never be able to do alone. And so I can collaborate with him to enhance my research by looking at it under the microscope and using his expertise. And then I have other collaborators that are experts in uh, radioactivity. And uh, I also have collaborators that are chemists and building new anti-cancer compounds. And so they come to me and they've built something in the lab, like a different chemical, and I can test it on the cancer cells. And then I can give those cancer cells to the people that are experts in radioactivity. And then they can try and image it with a radioactive compound. And then I can give it to the other guy with the microscope. And so now I have this treatment and I've analyzed it in, you know, four different ways, but it's only because I've worked with all these people. What would you say was the last breakthrough in the cancer field that was just a game changer? Probably immunotherapy was the last, was a really big thing that was a game changer for the field. And then I also, I'm a little bit biased here. I think that CRISPR-Cas9 and gene editing technology is fascinating. And although that really hasn't emerged into the cancer treatment side of things, it's emerged very much so on the research side of things, um, allowing us to delete certain genes or add certain genes to better understand cancer. Obviously, we're not going to be doing that in patients. We're not going to delete someone's gene and see what happens. But on the research side of things, we can manipulate the DNA to see what happens and better understand it. Yeah. Talk about CRISPR for a minute because I've heard of it. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. And I think that some people think it's amazing and some people are probably a little bit afraid of it just yeah. because, you know, people are afraid of anything new. You know, they think AI is going to take over the world. Yeah. They think that CRISPR is going to cause GMO humans or whatever. <laughs> but um, what do you think about it? So I have always been fascinated uh, with CRISPR technology since I learned about it back in college. And so CRISPR technology, it stands for Clustered Regular Interspace Short Palindrome Repeats. Got it. Um, no one needs to know that, <laughs> but that's what it stands for. And it's a technology that was discovered in prokaryotes where essentially at this point in time, we can use it and program. It's basically a little strand of nucleotides and an enzyme that you can add into a cell and it'll target uh, a certain gene or area of interest. And you can cause a double-stranded DNA break to then cause a mutation or take out a chunk of DNA to then turn that gene off. And it's a permanent deletion of a gene. There's also CRISPR knock-in where you can add a certain gene in or turn a, a gene on. And so as researchers, we can utilize this technology to turn a gene off or turn a gene on to see what it does. So um, in my research... I was interested in this gene in cancer cells called NOTCH1, and we were trying to figure out what this gene did. Since this, we know already that this gene is involved in the development of a pancreas, so when you're an embryo, this gene gets turned on to actually form the pancreas, and then we found that the gene was turned back on in some cancers. Mm. So we were like, well, what is this, on a specific level, what is this gene doing? Why is it being turned back on by the cancer cells? And so I used CRISPR. I put that into the cancer cells to delete the gene 
to figure out kind of what is it doing when I take that gene away from the cancer cells? Does it die or what changes? And so that was a specific way that I used CRISPR in my research to try and understand the biology of cancer. So you can use CRISPR to basically delete genes. How many genes do you have total? A lot. I don't know the specific number. Or le- yeah, it's a like lot. That. So you can delete or turn on a gene with CRISPR. Mm-hmm. So hypothetically, could you maybe change your eye color or? So theoretically, yes. My little brother actually asked me to CRISPR him a tail all the time. A tail? Yes, he wants a tail. <laughs> um, I that is not currently possible. Okay. Um, but if it ever comes, I'll be sure to use my little brother as Yeah, you know, of all the things you could CRISPR, I don't <laughs> think that a tail is going to be what I'll pick. But maybe if you could turn off the obesity gene and then, you know, you can just eat whatever you want. Some people, I feel like yeah. that gene already is turned off. Yeah, but some people, But it's not yeah. for me. Or like turn on the metabolism gene where you just yeah. have a really high metabolism. Okay, so say, say you could turn off one gene in your body. What would you pick? Um, That's a good question. This is the answer is not this simple, but I would say um, maybe the aging gene. Mm. That's you know, aging is not one gene, but if I could feel young for longer, that would be great. Heck yeah! Because let me tell you, as I've gotten older, you know, I used to hear my parents complain about how tired they were and <laughs> all these bones are creaking, and I'm like, what? But now that I'm uh, almost thirty, let me tell you. Aging is real. <laughs> it's very real. I'm in, I'm mid thirties, and you know I would talk to older guys in the gym all the time when I was my late teens, early twenties, and they're like, "Just wait, yeah." Once you yeah. hit thirty, you know it all starts to go downhill. And I'm like, "No way!" Yeah. I, you know, I work out. I've been working out. I stretch. Mm-hmm. I eat kind of healthy. I, I won't. That won't happen to me. Yep, but it I very much has thing. happened to me. <laughs> so it's not just one gene, unfortunately, but. Yeah, that would be a nice one. That would be a nice one. What about you? I think that I would add the gene to be invisible. I was just thinking about that too. That I was just thinking that would be pretty cool. Okay, so would you rather have flight or invisibility? I've actually thought about that many times. I think I'm going to go with invisibility. Mm -hmm. I'm a little afraid of heights. So I feel like if I had the ability to fly, I'd be scared I wouldn't enact. You wouldn't use it. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe the invisibility would better suit my lifestyle. <laughs> That'd be the ultimate party trick. Yeah. Exactly. Your friends would be like, Rachel, fly for us. You're like, no, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. But like, yeah, invisibility, that would be pretty cool. Like, oh, where'd all the wine go? Oh, invisible Rachel's back at it. <laughs> yeah. I think that if I could go any superpower, though, it would be teleportation. That would be, yeah. There's so many times where I've had to do like an eight-hour drive and I'm like, why? Have we not invented teleportation yet? Seriously. Do you think that anything, maybe not full on teleportation, but do you think that within our lifetimes we'll gain abilities that we never thought we'd have? To be honest with you, in our lifetime, I don't think so. In the future, very possible. Could CRISPR be a part of that? Very possible. Yeah. I mean, do you think CRISPR could take a gene from another animal and turn it on or activate it within us like you say like a chameleon could take the ability to change colors and then implant that within us so theoretically it's possible would it work i don't know there would take a lot of engineering there but theoretically it is possible with crispr you could put the gene in but i don't know if it'd be functional yeah (laughs) if you could have one gene from one animal what would you pick that would that's a good question. I really like the idea of like being a cheetah and being able to run really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, that might help with the whole teleportation thing. I could just run really fast to get somewhere. That'd be a really good one. I think that I would pick I would take an elephant's memory cuz they, they never forget, right? Yeah, that's a good one too. Mm, or being like, I mean this is obviously more complicated, but being able to be like a fish and like swim underwater. underwater. Yeah, yeah. That's obviously quite complicated but that would like maybe crisper some gills something like that yeah a lot of good options there i think we have a a bright future (laughs) ahead of us with crisper (laughs) i'm sold on it now (laughs) you know at first i was a little like i was hesitant i was thinking you know i think we have our genes for a reason like i think that we are the way we are for a reason but uh with all that on the table (laughs) it is it is interesting to think about but you know, this is the conversation where some people get concerned because you can think of it the other way of like all the bad things that you could do too. 
and we don't have to go much into that. But, you know, there has been debates out there, you know, keeping CRISPR outlawed because of the idea of making like superhumans um, and bioweapons and all that. And I want you guys to know that today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you find yourself struggling with anxiety, depression, or just feeling stuck in life? Well, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy platform with licensed therapists available to you from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your therapist. Or you can simply message them anytime you need to. No more sitting in traffic, no more waiting rooms, ugh, and no more feeling uncomfortable. And here's the best part. BetterHelp is affordable. Financial aid is available to those who qualify. And our listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Birmingham. Take the first step towards a happier, healthier life with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Birmingham today and get 10% off your first month. Thanks for listening to the Discover Birmingham podcast. Now, back to the show. Yeah, if I could give uh, Henry one gene, I would give him his tail back. Because, oh, yeah. You know, I got him after they docked his tail. And, you know, dogs have bones in their tails. That's an extension of their spinal column. And... uh I think one reason that dogs like that get hip dysplasia is because they don't have a tail. So all that lateral motion of the hip and pelvis is instead of being, you know, dispelled through the tail is now all transferred to the hips. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one reason they get hip dysplasia. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor Henry. I know. He's so happy, though. I mean, as long as he's swimming, he's good to go. Oh, it's so cute that he's a swimmer. Oh, my God. Yeah. He loves to swim. Have you ever taken him to the ocean? (sighs) Yeah. Took him to the dog beach in Pensacola. Okay. And um, Henry loves to swim and so much so that his mouth is always open. So he's taking in a lot of water. So he took in too much seawater and uh, that did not have a positive effect on his intestines. Yeah, I could imagine. He made a big scene in front of a a big group of children and they were terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Henry. Yeah. We're actually going in a couple of weeks. And this time, instead of taking him to the dog beach, we just rented an Airbnb that has its private pool. Oh, we nice. got the pool for Henry. You know? Yeah, so he of can, course. He's going to go and, and just run amok down there. Oh, he is living his best life. Yeah, he is. Dogs deserve it. They do. And so do cats. Yes. <laughs> you You have two, three? So I have one cat that's the size of three. Okay, got it. Um, that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? So his name is Thornbush because I just so happened to find him in a thornbush outside of the cancer center. So I'd like to think that his size, his large size, is not a result of treats all the time. But maybe he was genetically altered because he was found outside the cancer center. That might be it. Yeah, definitely were, not the treats. Yeah, it, they were crispering his genes <laughs> and they were just testing out the obesity gene and they turned it right on for him. Yes. So he's a big boy, but I absolutely love him. Of course. Speaking of, animals get cancer, right? They can. Yes. Very sad. Do you think the mechanism, I know this is, is not something you've studied probably, but do you think the mechanisms there are similar? I, some of them, yes. I think some of it can be inherited. And then again, going back to the epigenome, I think some of the things there, of course, in terms of lifestyle, the pet's lifestyle is very different. And I don't know any of these studies, but I do know that some of them are do exist about looking at different diets of pets and like that propensity to develop cancer. And I can't speak on what the conclusions are, but I know that there are studies out there. I read a book called um, Food Pets Die For, and it was all about, you know, Purina and just the common types of dog foods and how they are full of so much junk yeah. that you wouldn't think would be in it. I mean, without going into too much detail, there's stuff in dog food that you would never want to feed your pet. So we got them I on. I believe the, it. Yeah, we got them on the all raw diet. Yeah. So we make all of this food, and because he's 120 pounds, that's a full time job. Yeah. He eats three pounds of beef a day. Wow. Some broccoli, pumpkin, canned pumpkin. 
We put flaxseed oil, and then we put a couple of different vitamin supplements in there. Yeah, that's Basically great. trying to make sure all of his good genes are turned on. Yeah, yeah. And none of the bad ones. But this is going to be a bit of an experiment to see if it works. I'm thinking that, you know, one way to look at it would be investing more in his food now might save us money on the back end in vet bills. I I would believe that. Yeah. I would believe that. Hopefully it'll work. You know, he's uh, he's coming up on seven years old, so I guess we're getting to the age. You know, Rottweilers, they uh, their life expectancy is only 12 years. Oh, wow. So we're going to see if we can bump that up at least a couple of years. Yeah, I would say so with, you know, taking him on these trips and exercising and eating well, I'd like to believe that. He might live forever. Yeah. Yes, I hope so. Speaking of, I remember seeing a headline a few years ago, and uh, it said... <laughs> man arrested for kidnapping scientists who promised to make his dog live forever. I remember <laughs> seeing see that? that too. I remember being like, I know it's not right, but I understand. Oh, can't blame the guy. <laughs> yeah, no, if I could find a way to have Thornbush stay with me longer, that would, yeah. Even though I, sometimes I don't know if he'd want to. Like every morning he's screaming and yelling at me because... You know, I'm not waking up on his schedule to feed him. Yeah. So I'm definitely the worst person. He runs the household. It's his world. I'm just living in it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what were we talking about during the break about, oh, we do weekly meetings, right, on Thursdays as far as uh, with different researchers and doctors. People can sign on and listen to the talk. How does that work? Yeah. So with the Net Cancer Foundation, every the last Thursday of every month, we do a seminar series called Net Chatter. And so each month we'll have a different speaker come on and the speaker will either be a cancer researcher, a cancer physician or a patient telling their story. Um, and actually, May 19th, we have our third annual virtual conference where we're going to have five speakers from all over the world tune on to this Zoom event and talk about their research. Um, and it'll all be focused on neuroendocrine cancer. But yes, I do want to put a plug in for our monthly seminar series called Net Chatter. And it is a virtual Zoom event. And so it's Net Chatter. Uh, other than just Googling Net Chatter, where could they yeah, find Yeah, so you can Google Net Chatter. We have a website called netcancerfoundation.com. We also have a Twitter where we post a lot that goes on and a LinkedIn, and a Facebook as well. So if you Google the Net Cancer Foundation, you'll likely find one of our links. Is that the best place for people to keep up with you, or where can people find you? Yeah, so they can find me there. I also have a Twitter and a LinkedIn where you can catch all of my updates. Well, is that Dr. Rachel Gunther? Yeah, so my Twitter is at Rachel Genter, no dashes, but yeah, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. G-U-E-N-T-E-R. Um, the last name's unique, so if you put it in, you'll probably find me. Got it. Yeah, that sounds like a good place for people to keep up with you, and hopefully the, the breakthroughs will keep coming. Hope so. Yeah, super interested in the future of CRISPR. I want to I wanna keep learning about that, so we'll have to get you back on soon. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely come back with some exciting updates on that, CRISPR. That sounds good, Rachel. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Chase. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 